Welcome to Agent Investor, where you'll hear inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. Join your host, investor and broker Tom Caffarella, as he dives into how active agents are delivering a high level of service to clients while spotting opportunities, negotiating with homeowners, signing deals, and building additional streams of income. You'll come away from each episode with practical tips, tactics, and action steps while being inspired to open your eyes to the potential deals that are all around you. After all, you have the skills, you have the market knowledge, you have access to the information. Why not leverage all those assets to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? If you're an active agent interested in investing in real estate and building passive income, this is your podcast. And now let's jump into this episode of Agent Investor. I am very excited to have my guest on today, Jeff Cohn out of Omaha, Nebraska. Jeff, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? I'm super pumped to be here. Uh, Tom's not going to say it, but he just left Omaha a couple weeks ago and we enjoyed the College World Series together. And I'm super pumped to be on your show today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was really good to come out there. Um, Jeff is light years ahead of me on the brokerage side. So for those of you who don't know, a lot of you think of me as an investor, but I'm also a brokerage owner and an agent, although I haven't done any agency business in a long time. So I, I came out to Jeff's office because he's he's much further ahead than me on that side, learned a bunch of stuff, uh, got to see how he did things. So it was definitely very worthwhile to come out there I said to, I think I said to one of the people in your office, I would never come out to Nebraska if it wasn't for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I don't blame you at all. It's fine. I uh, love it here in Omaha. It's great, like three months out of the year, and then the rest of the time it's too hot or too cold. But uh, yeah. we have a lot of cool stuff in Omaha. So for those listening, you definitely want to come out for me, and then yeah. for everything else that Omaha has to offer. And I will give a shout out to Tommy. He's doing all the things I don't know how to do. Uh, so we had some really great synergies. There's that word. Uh, synergies, but we did, and Tommy's dominating the investment side. Um, I think that we have a lot of ways to help each other and help the people listening today. So let's talk a little bit about what you've done on the brokerage side, because the, you know, the crux of my whole uh, podcast is getting agents to at least add some investing into yeah. their arsenal. So talk about what you've done on the uh, brokerage side over the last five to ten years. Okay, for sure. So I got licensed literally ten years ago. Um, I was 24 years old. I had a degree in business and decided I was going to be a real estate agent when I grew up. And my goal was to hit it hard for 12 months and see what happened. And all my buddies were making 40 or 50 grand a year salary jobs out of college. And my first year, I netted 96,000. And that was with me selling, working about 60 hours a week. So flash forward three or four years later, I was making around $350,000 a year, still servicing traditional residential buyers and sellers. And I recognized that if I were to make, if I could make any more than that, I was going to have to add people to my team because I was working as much as I could possibly work and keep my marriage and family going. <laughs> and so I decided in 2011, I would start a real estate team. And to me, what the team was going to give me the ability to do was pass all of my buyer leads and buyers from my sphere off to somebody else while I just focused on my listing business. And I thought by the time I retired in my late fifties, I could possibly turn my listing business over to somebody else. And what happened was from 2011 when I did 80, I did 80 deals. In 2012 was the first year I had a team. We did 240 deals, and I ended up making a, almost as much as I had made selling. I made off of my real estate team, and so I decided to fire myself altogether. And I didn't wait till I was 55. I waited. I was 28, 
And I decided I wouldn't sell another house. And I put all my time and energy into giving the agents value by offering training and holding them accountable and generating leads and teaching them how to convert the leads and building essentially the foundation to help agents be super successful. So we went from doing 240 deals in 2012 to last year, we did 601 sites in 2016. And today, which we're two quarters in, we're at over 500 sales and almost $100 million in volume. We think we'll end the year at about 800 sites. And I think the most important thing, you know, one of the big takeaways I had when I came out to visit you is I expected, you know, you to have a team of 100 people based on the number of deals that you're doing. And I've got a team of 150 agents. You're doing this with everybody pretty much producing on your team. Yeah, we started this year at 17 with 22 full-time agents. And we now allow those full-time agents to build teams within my team. So I'm running my team much like a brokerage. And so we have, we now have about 40 agents, but about 20 of those are, we're calling them sub agents. They're agents within teams and they don't produce as high of a level as the team leads do. Uh, But we're obviously hoping to change that. It usually takes about 12 to 18 months to get somebody up and running. And so our systems were designed to help support a top agent wanting to build a team all the way down to the agent that right now is only doing two or three deals a year and wants to get to 15 and then wants to get to 30. So the bottom line is you've been super successful on the brokerage side. <clears throat> You're young, just like me. You're going to continue to grow. Um, when do you start thinking about investing in real estate? That's a really good question. So I want to take us back to when I first got licensed. I was 23 and I was doing informational interviews with all the top agents in my local market. I had about 20 lunches, Tommy. And I'd go around and I'd say to these agents that were in their 50s and 60s that were the top producers then doing like 100 deals a year and 8 million in volume, um, you know, 10 years ago. And they said, if they could be me back, you know, 23 years old again, every dime they made, they would have put into holds, single family holds. Because they watched the market double in value in Omaha, which the Midwest is very conservative at about a 3% appreciation rate. But they watched the market values double every 10 years. And so they were like, man, if I could go back and buy that $40,000 house today, it'd be valued at 200 grand or whatever the case might be. So that was ingrained into my mind, but I was a poor college student. I had $40,000 of student loan debt, $30,000 of credit card debt, living in an apartment, uh, a brand new little baby, recently married. And just like a lot of us, I wasn't thinking at all about investing. I was thinking about how do I stay above water? How do I pay off my debt? And so my focus my first couple of years was to learn how to be the best agent I could possibly be so I could pull myself out of debt. And once I was out of debt and started being able to open my horizons and start thinking about where I wanted to deploy my capital to make it work for me, I started considering buying holds and also flipping property. And so it was about three years ago that I got really intentional about it. And then just in the last 12 months, we've taken it to a much higher level where this year we're going to buy over 50 houses we're going to hold about 20 of them and flip about 30 of them. Do you think you could have started earlier? You know, I do think I could have. Um, I think it was an intentional choice not to only because I go back to Gary Keller. I went to a business mastermind all about the book, the one thing a couple years ago in Austin. And he said, so many people focus on the what, what business do I need to be in? What location should I open in? He said, the focus needs to be on the who, and then the who will determine the what and the where and the everything else. And so I needed my who I need a boot. I needed a boot on the ground that could hold the contractors accountable that could look at the deals. I could have done all of that myself, but I wanted to leverage into someone else. And my best friend ended up moving back to Omaha three years ago. And he was working at a great job, uh, Conagra foods, making over a six figure income and benefits and everything. And I said, Hey, let's start flipping some houses, nights and weekends. 
I want to teach you this business. I think that it could be really equitable for both of us. And last year he quit his full-time job to go into it hundred percent. So we use my real estate side for acquisitions, for listing the properties, <clears throat> for some of the sales strategies. And then we use him for managing all the subs, you know, providing the oversight to the business side, relationships with banks, literally going to the closings, checking on the workflow, um, holding the acquisition team accountable. We now have four full-time acquisitionists and we have 10 full-time virtual assistants that make outbound calls for us. So I think it's really important that you found a way to do it without taking time or much time away from your primary source of income, right? I mean, that's the bottom line here, that's right? That's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, if I had sold, made a hundred grand in real estate working 60 hours and I thought by flipping, I could make the same amount working less time, I'm always focused on working less and making more. And so, so I didn't find that solution until I had somebody to do all that work. So what would you say to the agent? Because I hear this all the time. I'm so busy working with buyers and sellers. I don't have time to become an investor. What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say on just do your first deal. And I go to all these RIA meetings and these masterminds and all these people are dreaming about flipping a house or they're dreaming about buying their first rental. Just do your first deal. Because even if it doesn't go perfectly, and that's everyone's concern, they're going to lose money. You're not going to lose money. If you do enough deals and you're paying attention, you're not going to lose money. You're, you might lose too much time. And so yep. I would challenge everyone to that do your first deal and even manage your first rental so that you know how to hold someone else accountable to doing it. And I'll say that for building your real estate brokerage as well. Every position that I now hire out, I did it at some point. Every single position, sign running, marketing, outbound calls, dialogue training, everything. And so in the rental acquisition business, flipping business and all of that, go hold a hammer, help frame a house, do it once. So you know what the cost should be associated with the different type of work that's going to be done, but then be willing to leverage with someone else. And that's where I see a lot of people trip on themselves is they think they have to do it. It's the sweat equity. But what they're doing to themselves is they're eliminating their ability to grow anymore. They're reaching that point of diminishing returns of three flips a year or six flips a year or two acquisitions. And you could go so much bigger and you lie to yourself and say, it'd be too much work and too much time and too much money, but it's not true. For most people, it's just the simple fact that they're not willing to make the sacrifice of education to learn all of the techniques like you're deploying right now in your business over in Boston to help build their business to a higher level. So what do you think? Because this is the thing I, I can never figure out. I don't really have a brokerage background like you. You know, you've you've met more agents than me. You've talked to more agents than me. What is the reason why more agents are not investors, in your opinion? Hmm. I think it's the same reason a lot of people don't invest in the stock market. I think people live paycheck to paycheck. So when an agent makes 200 grand, they spend 200 grand on stuff. When they make 400 grand, they spend 400 grand on stuff. And I think people always assume that if they're making 400 grand today, they're going to make 400 grand, grand tomorrow and that they don't need to put anything away. And I think it's the biggest disconnect in American society. I think it's going to cause lots of problems for lots of people. It already has. And so I have a very strong belief. I always have, I read a book with my wife when we were in our early 20s called Smart Couples Finish Rich by mm -hmm. uh, David Bach. And he had something he talked about, which was the latte factor. And that latte factor is you go to Starbucks every day, five days a week, that's 25 bucks a week, hundred bucks a month. You go hundred bucks a month, that's 1200 a year. And um, if you know anything about the compounding effect, if you had invested in 1985, $50,000 into the stock market, just into like an S&P 500, in 2015, that would have been worth $950,000 without adding any more money. And so there's all these people with all this money, but they're not deploying the capital. And if you're in the residential real estate business, what better place to put your money than into single family or multifamily investments, be it that it is your game. But why people don't do it is because they're simply living paycheck to paycheck. 
So now you're talking about deals, though, what you have to put your own money into. Now, what about wholesaling and stuff like that, where you're coming across a deal that you can just flip the contract to somebody else? Like, I, I get it that, you know, a lot of people either don't have the money or they don't save enough to do a deal. <clears throat> Why not more? Because because I would say this, right? In the course of a year, let's just say that you didn't specifically market for your investment deals. How many would you come across where you think there would be an opportunity to wholesale? Yeah, it's all if I was paying attention, right? So like my team yep. this year will do about 800 sides. So I need to be paying attention. I need to be intentional. I need to be communicating to my team every week at my team meeting. Hey, if you guys come across an investment deal, I'll kick you a thousand dollar bonus or something on the back end to make it equitable equitable for them to kick those deals back over to me. Uh, but I think I'd come across 12 deals a year, but I have a lot of influence in real estate. I think that's going to come natural. I think for most people, they might only come across two or three deals. I do want to make a point though. You're either going to spend time or you're going to spend money. So if you are choosing to go out and wholesale, Tommy's right. You're not going to have to spend a lot of money. Uh, but you're going to have to put time into it or at least put time into building the system, which is okay. You certainly do not need money to do this. So I love that you pointed that out, Tom. So the other the other thing is I think that's so critical for agents that, again, I don't see it happening that much and I, I don't get why it doesn't happen more. So let's say that, that you, Jeff Cohn, you're an agent and like you mentioned, you only come across two of these a year, right? Mm-hmm. So you come across two deals a year that you could potentially wholesale. Let's say that you wholesale it on the front end. Maybe you make 10, 15,000. And then you get the listing on the back end. You've quite literally tripled the amount of money that you're going to make on that particular deal. Why doesn't that happen more often? I honestly, yeah, I think it's the education, Tom. I think that people don't know how to do it. They're scared to do it. They don't know the laws and rules in their marketplace. We get so focused on the thing we know how to do. We do it once and then we say, oh, okay, if it worked that one time, it's going to work again. And so we just keep doing it. And I think so rarely do people open up their minds to say, is there a better way? And I think that's truly the definition as to why I grew as fast as I grew. I mean, there's not a lot of agents that go from 80 to 806 years. And I think the biggest reason is I always ask myself, is there a better way? And I didn't just ask it. I went out and found the answers by visiting other teams. Uh, I visited over 50. After learning to ask people in my own local market, I said, hey, I need to think bigger. And so I went across the country and went over to 50 brick and mortar offices, listened to podcasts just like this one in and around real estate and read hundreds of books all about residential real estate and business creation and uh, dysfunctions within teams and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, Jim Rohn has that quote that your level of success will never exceed your own level of personal development because mm-hmm. the personal development is the person that you become and you can't attract success or wealth or people if you don't continually better yourself so that you can offer more to those that align with you. So out of those, you visited 50 offices and I'm assuming you handpicked ones that you saw that were successful, right? Absolutely. So out of those 50 and those are top agents, what percentage of those capitalize on investment deals, period, either by investing in long-term wealth or by wholesaling and fixing and flipping? You know, I couldn't probably give you a stat. It wasn't something I tracked. My focus of those visits a couple of years ago was 100% to learn how to build out my real estate team. Now, as I meet with people, I'm always asking, how do you invest your money? That's my, that's my number one question to somebody that's a high income earner is yeah. how do you invest your money? And that was something you and I talked about at the College World Series. Most people that I ask that question to give me a blank stare and I say, <laughs> dude, you can share it with me. What's up? And a lot of them say, man, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm just trying to make my team flow. I'm building out my businesses. Not very many people say, oh, I put 200,000 in the stock market and 200,000 into single family rentals. And if they do do some of that, I'll ask them what their plan is 
And usually there's no plan. It's just, hey, if a deal comes along, I'll try to buy it. Hopefully I have the cash at that time to do it. And Not very many people are intentional about it. You're talking about high-income earners, though. I'm talking well. about high-income earners. Yeah, you're talking about people who are making I mean, the money. Yeah, million-plus net income. Man, that's crazy. Um, What's so, your experience been? Turn it around on you for a sec. With, with agents or with people who are investing? In agents. I mean, with, investors get it most of the time, you'd think. but with, Yeah, you'd think. I mean, not always. I mean, with agents, I just can't figure it out. I mean, you know, in my brokerage, everyone sees what I'm doing. And to be honest with you, it's funny. The biggest fear I had when I started building out a brokerage was that everyone was going to take my ideas, copy me, and I was going to lose market share. Yep. And now it's like, not only do I share it with the people internally, I share it with people externally and I'm coaching people externally. And some of them still won't listen to what I'm doing, even though they see what I'm doing. Dude, I know it's unbelievable. It's the same thing with my real estate business. All I'm in Omaha. There's tons of agents in my own local market. I'm the most open book that exists. I'll show people my PL, I'll show people my tax returns. I'll share every business strategy because I know that I know how much work goes into it. I know how much yeah. money we have to raise and how much we spend on marketing. And a lot of times people just, they simply don't want to do it after listening to what you do and what I do. I think they think, ah, I don't want to, it's not worth it to go through all the effort. But yeah. as you, we, as we both know, and this is out, goes, it goes out to the entire audience. If you want to live the life of your dreams, you have to be willing to take risks. You always have to be pushing yourself and trying to scale to the next level. That doesn't mean you have to sacrifice everything. And people always assume, like they'll come to me and say, wow, you're number one in Nebraska for the last three years. You guys do 800 deals. You probably don't have a life. And I'm actually the very opposite. I have more time right now than I've ever had. I spent 90 days last year traveling out of the year. Um, I go on two to three week long trips. I have a great staff around me. Um, Literally right behind me is my personal assistant, Missy. I have seven other employees and then I own 10 other businesses and I have direct reports that run all of those business entities. So my job now is just providing oversight to the who in all of the businesses and all the positions within Omaha's elite. And that's the thing I love and I have passion around is helping build people and motivate and help overcome um, challenges that they're struggling with on the day to day. Yeah, that was one thing you definitely made me think about um, because I'm a workaholic and, you know, I set up similar systems, but I always find a way to keep myself too busy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what you said to me was like, you know, when you look back on your life, you know, are, are you going to regret working, you know, every single day, every single hour? And I think the answer to that is yes. And I'm, I, I think I may need therapy for it, but I, I think what you've done is impressive and goes to show that you don't, I, I think one of the negatives that people see in my office is how hard I work and it might look scary and daunting and it's maybe not even motivating because of the mm-hmm. fact that I'm not having, I mean, I'm having fun because I like what I do, but I'm not, I'm not living that other part of it, which you can do for sure. Yeah. I think that you said that great. And I, I'm very impressed. And I'll say, say it to the audience and give you some credit, Tommy, that you're taking ownership of some of your dysfunctions and you're announcing those to the world. And I think that's so important. We all have limiting beliefs and dysfunctions that keep us from reaching our full potential. Tommy's having great success in his business world, but maybe not as much success in his own personal life. And he does, he might even know that and acknowledge it. And he's mm-hmm. looking for ways to, to overcome that. And I think well, that's awesome. A lot of people struggle in their business world, but they're doing really well <laughs> in their personal life, which yeah, is yeah. an equal dysfunction. And the whole game of life is trying to find balance in all of those things. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. 
Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So let's talk a little about about what you've done on the investing side. So, you know, you you mentioned a lot, you know, the accumulation of rentals and where that's going to be your long-term wealth. You're going out, you're marketing for deals, you're marketing directly to sellers. You mentioned that you're doing a lot of of calling. You have a a team of people who are on the phones. Mm -hmm. How do you determine who you're going to call? So we bought a a list from, uh, what is it? Do you remember the name? Was it Exact Data? Exact Data, I think you mentioned. Exact Data. And so we bought a list of 50,000 names and phone numbers and addresses of people that live in and around the Omaha, Nebraska area. And Exact Data runs an, an uh, algorithm that has predictable analytics based on who they believe is the most likely to sell. It's similar if you've ever heard of like Smart Zip, it's the Smart Zip product that agents yep. use to determine where they should send their postcards. And so they give us this database of 50,000 people. So how do we call 50,000 people? Well, I own a call center in the Philippines, um, yeah. 1000callsaday.com. And so I decided I'd just grab one of those callers and have them just start banging the phones. And we have a dialing system that allows us to dial 10, 10 people at one time. And then whoever picks up, it's just like a telemarketer software. Someone picks up, it drops all the other nine lines. And so we discovered that in the first month when we started deploying this strategy, we could call 22,000 people a month. And out of those calls, we'd usually get about a 10% connect rate with the decision maker. So out of 22,000 calls, you get 2,200 people on the phone. And herein lies the rub. Out of 2,200 people, six of them would say, yeah, we'd sell our house. But sometimes they would want too much. The numbers don't work. So our acquisition team would look at the six deals, analyze them. And out of those six deals, there'd be about half of them, three of them, where we would actually say, hey, can we come out to the house, shoot a video, run comps, et cetera, et cetera, and we'll make you an offer at the door. So they'd run out to the property, they'd make their offer. Typical offers are going to come in about 30% below after repair value. Out of those three offers, one person accepts it. So out of 22,000 calls in a month, we acquire one home. Well, our average flip, we're netting about $25,000 right now. And that caller runs us about $1,800 a month. So we're more than 10Xing the return on the caller. But as you can hear from the entire story, we had to build an infrastructure to do it. We needed a caller. We needed a list of numbers. We used Boomtown to manage all the leads in that list. And then we needed an acquisition team on the ground to actually reach out to the leads, go out and meet with the client at the door. And then I used my partner, Clint Bartlett, to put the offers together and actually meet directly with the client to execute the contract. And we can wholesale those deals. We can wholetail those deals or we can flip them and or hold them depending on the location that they're in. So I think the biggest takeaway there is when you're when you're doing marketing, you really need to do it in mass volume. And also just the fact that to me, if you're unwilling to cold call and make that many calls, or you just hate doing it, you have to have somebody else do it because it needs to be done. It's, it's a necessary evil. Um, and if you know that you can't do it, like the, the mistake I see people make is, they say, oh, okay, I, I need to cold call. So they'll do it for two hours a day. And then the next day they get busy with something else and it's not consistent. And therefore their results never get consistent. And then they get disappointing in themselves because you know they feel like, oh man, I should have been making those two, two hours of calls a day. But what I've learned from you on the cold calling that never really, you know, I never really knew this before, you know, working with you and working with your team was essentially that most of the time, you're just waiting there, you know, for someone to talk to. And most of the time you're, you're just, you're going through so many people to get to that one potential person. I love the sentence. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You talk to enough people 
you're failing forward all day long and you just got to be able to hang in there. And I can't personally do it anymore. I've yep. done tens of thousands of calls. I'm done with making the outbound. Um, I do do some recruiting calls, but I'm done doing the typical acquisition call. Uh, but you can find people that will do it and they can be on, you know, boots on the ground in your office as internal salespeople, inbound teams. If you're sending out flyers, newsletters, uh, have bandit signs out there, have an inbound team taking those calls, or you can make outbound calls with like the virtual assistant solution, like what we're doing. One thing I want to say, Tommy, is, you know, some people will hear this today and say, wow, I'm going to start doing the, hiring someone to do the calls. Pick the thing you, you think is interesting. Pick the thing where you think you'll have a competitive advantage. There's no one right way to acquire. There's so many different things as I'm sure you teach and you talk about on your podcast. But what I would say is people get too spread thin. Oh, Don't yeah. allow yourself to chase every de- every rabbit hole. Pick one or two things that you believe will help you acquire rentals and spend a year on those so you can have actual analytics that you can track so that you know if you spend a dollar, $3 are coming back or $6 are coming back. Become an expert in one area, but always be willing to look at the next best thing. And that's where right now in our residential side, we always spend 70% of our marketing budget every month, which is about $8,000 on leads through Google AdWords, Craigslist, and Facebook. Those are our top three lead sources. But we spend 30% of our marketing budget on three additional lead sources every year. And we're always trying new things like Zillow, Homes.com, Trulia, you know, other things to see what the next best thing might be. And we're tracking every lead. We know where every lead comes from. We know how much money spent to acquire the lead. We know how many showings we have to go on with a traditional buyer uh, from Craigslist versus AdWords before they go under contract. We know how many calls we had to have with them. I mean, we track all the analytics. When we put the deal into Boomtown, we're able to track all of that in there. And we're doing the exact same thing with our rental acquisition and flipping business as well. So we know 22,000 calls equals one sale right now with our current system. Yeah, and that's the thing I, I see, especially in the beginning. People get super confused. They don't know what to do. And then they jump. I call those all marketing funnels. So in my in my <clears throat> investing business, I've got about 10 really good marketing funnels. For example, ProBase. That's one single marketing funnel that will produce for me maybe 5 to 15 deals this year, depending upon how well that funnel operates. But the biggest mistake I see people make is that they'll try probates for a week, then they'll go to vacant houses, then they'll go to high equity, then they'll go to notice of default, and they don't get the results that they that they should get because they're not focused and they're not actually putting enough marketing, you know, juice behind right. that particular but behind that particular funnel. So, like if you're going to do cold calling, like you mentioned, you need to be hitting the phones really, really hard. And just the same thing. If you're going to do mailers, you need to do the same thing. If you're going to do Facebook marketing, you, you're going to do Google marketing. You have to do it really hard. You can't just spend a couple hundred bucks here or an hour there. You're not going to get results in any of them. And then you're going to think that every single one of those marketing funnels doesn't work. When in reality, they all work, but you didn't put enough effort into them. Yep. I couldn't agree more. You're right. So, so you know, you talked about doing wholesaling, wholetailing, and holding. How do you make the determination whether you're going to hold something or you're going to flip it? So um, on all of the locations in Omaha that we believe are going to double in value in the next 10 years, our goal is going to be to hold. But a lot of it has to do with our cash in, cash out return. So if there's a flip opportunity, we know we can put our cash in and get our cash out and get over 100% return annualized. Uh, we're going to probably pursue that, but that's not always the case. So the biggest thing is really where our cash position is in the business. Our intention of flipping, wholesaling, and wholesaling is to generate revenue that we can put into hold. So our long-term goal is to literally have hundreds of homes or uh, when we go into retirement um, that are all leveraged. And then we will work, obviously, from now through retirement 
towards getting those paid off. I don't know that we'll ever pay them all the way off because it doesn't make sense uh, because yep. of the tax write-offs you can take advantage of. So we'll be refining them. We'll be leveraging into other deals. So our intention is to buy holds. I know there's a lot of people out there that do wholesales, wholesales and flips, and they're doing it to generate income. I hope those people are doing holds. I've met a lot of them that aren't. So they'll mm-hmm. tell me they flip 20 houses a year or hundred a year. And I'll say, how many rentals do you have? And they'll Most say none. Most and I say, well, what are you doing with your money? And they're living off of it or yeah. they're constantly turning it to the next deal. And I tell you guys, you're listening to this and that's you try to buy a hold. So our goal was to do 36 purchases a year, 24 flips and 12 holds. So we do flip, flip, hold, flip, flip, hold. So our goal is to make around 40,000 off our two flips. So 20 grand a flip. So we get 40 grand and then we acquire a hold and put about 25,000 down on a hundred thousand dollar house. And then we use the difference, the 15 grand to fix it up. And then we rent it out. So our entire goal is to flip two and then acquire one. And what happened was over the last 12 months, we got smarter and we found some alternative lending opportunities where if we could acquire the properties 25% below market and the bank does an internal review and agrees with us, it's 25 below market. They're letting us acquire it with no money down. So now we've been able to acquire a lot more doors than we had originally planned on. We expect to be at hundred doors by the end of next year. Uh, We're at about 25 doors right now. So we're really excited about that. Is that a funding source that the typical person could get access to, or was it a connect that you have, like a personal relationship? No. So this is another whole piece to a business that I don't know gets talked about very much, but I had this strategy where I thought we should um, have a meeting with a bank every single week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the last couple of months, we've probably met with 30 or 40 banks. And just like a realtor would have a listing presentation, we have an investment presentation for banks. And so we have like a listing presentation in um, PowerPoint and we bring them into my office. I have a really nice office. So the bankers come in, they get to see all the success that my real estate team has had. And we show them the strategy we're already implementing and deploying in our business. And every bank that's come in has said, we've never seen investors like this before. This is something out of our out of our norm, we definitely want yep. to do business with you. Everyone's interested. So the bank that was able to have that 100% financing solution just kind of fell in our laps. It wasn't someone that they didn't reach out to us. Um, it was actually another investor. We met at an investment group that said, hey, reach out to this bank. They actually do 100% financing. We didn't believe it. Uh, but the money, it's kind of like doing private money. They're not selling the loans off to the third, third market. They're keeping those loans in-house. So there will be a point in which we think they won't continue lending to us because they have to you know, follow certain parameters in terms of how much debt they have um, in certain areas. So we expect to be able to be at about three or $4 million in, in rental property before they say, hey, we can't do it anymore. And so our goal is to continue looking for new banks that will still honor that same deal. Because obviously 100% financing, if you can find them 25% below market, sky's the limit. Your whole goal at that point is just finding deals and you don't have to think about having that money down. And that money down is the, is the challenge and struggle for a lot of people. That's the number one thing I get asked. How do I do deals with no money down? Yep. And, you know, I, I always recommend doing the same exact thing that you do, meeting with as many people as you possibly can, pitching them, having a good presentation. You're doing it systematically. The, the thing that I see all the time is somebody makes one phone call, they get rejected, maybe not even for the loan, but they, right. they get rejected for 100%, 0% down, and then they give up. How many banks did you have to meet with before getting this deal? Probably 25. 25. And we had them all come to my office, which I thought was pretty awesome too. That is, so don't have, I didn't have to go to their office. They came to my office. I don't know how you got that done, but that is impressive. Um, so, so you met with 25 people. So 25, you know, one hour meetings basically, right? Yep. In addition to the fact that you had to get those appointments in the first place, Yep. which is work in itself. Yeah. 
So you're you're holding roughly one out of three. Do you have a number of unit count that you're looking for? So our first goal is 100. So everyone says have a yearly goal and have a five-year goal. Anything after that kind of just starts to be pie in the sky. So our five-year goal was 100 units. Um, our yearly goal was 12 a year. Um, until we hit that 100, obviously, if you take 12 times five, that doesn't get us to our 100. But we knew every year we'd end up increasing. I think Clint actually had this all planned out where it was like 12 acquisitions, then 18, then 25. I just say to him, hey, figure out how to get 100 houses by year five. I think we'll be there by the end of next year. And so we have the age old question of do we just pay them all down and live off that cash flow? Because it'd be really good at 100 yeah. properties. Or do we leverage and go maybe into a hundred unit apartment complex. Cause another thing that's pretty unique right now is a lot of the properties we acquired, we did put 25% down and we acquired them at 25% below market. So right now we have about a million dollars in our portfolio worth of real estate in our portfolio, and we're at a 50% equity position. So that gives us the ability now to leverage. Most banks would let us borrow about 25% of our equity position so that we're at a 75, 25 loan to value ratio and go out and buy it, you know, put 250,000 down off that leverage into another million dollar multifamily with let's say 50 units or something like that. So I'm having a, tr a struggle time. I would like you're, to ask you're, you this you're, question. You're not gonna, I'll just tell you, you're not going to pay them down. I guarantee. Okay. So I'm 100%. not paying them down. I'm buying more. You're, first of all, you don't want to, but I just know you won't. I know so, I won't too, but yes. I want to. So <laughs> tell me to pay them off and just live off that cash flow and go to Go to the Bahamas for a couple months. You won't. You won't do it. So I know it's I won't. it's it's only a theoretical question. What should you do? And it's like if you were, you know, this fifty-five-year-old guy that was getting tired of of working, I'd say, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Right. But it's like you you would pay them down, and then three weeks later, you'd be looking to make another move. So it's like it's not it's even worth. So true. Tom nailed it. I'm yeah. thirty-five. I think we're both thirty-five, aren't yeah. we? Well, I'm so, 35 in two weeks, so I'm, I'm okay. still younger than you. Tom told me at the game he was 35. <laughs> and then like a couple hours later, I think he was feeling guilty. He's like, I was. I'm actually only 34. <laughs> I was. was Bill, uh, did, did Billy have us? Was he the oldest or was I the old man? Oh, Clint was the old man. Clint, yeah. Clint Clint's, Clint's old. I think he's 36, yeah. <laughs> he did. He just turned 36. Yeah. So you're man. right, though. And what's interesting about this age range, and I know we have people listening from every age range, but when we acquire property today on a 20-year note, that essentially, that note is taking us to retirement. And I think you're right. Like, we'll hit 55, and I think I'll have a couple hundred houses almost paid down. But I probably will have leveraged those properties before I get to 55 into something bigger, always rolling. And, you know, uh, Gary Keller says it best in his book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which essentially... Um, shows exactly the outlay of how to get to the seventh level he calls, which is a realtor that makes a million dollars a year without having to go out and sell real estate. He says, it's not about the money. It's about being the very best that we can be. And, yeah. you know, I know that that sounds like hokey poke, you know, be the best you can be. But honestly, like the money will come. If you create value for people by fixing up these houses or finding homes that other investors want, money flows to the difference people are going to follow value and you're going to have more money than you know what to do with. And then you're just going to want things that keep you interested. Like look at Tommy's whiteboard. Look at all those little things he has written on. Every time I see you, I'm like, man, I'm always like trying to zoom in and <laughs> see if I can get some secrets. See, those are but the secrets. Yeah. What keeps Tommy addicted to his work that, you know, just the addiction that you said you have, you're a workaholic. It's the next deal. You're excited. I was sitting with Tommy and Billy, his buddy and investment partner, at the College World Series, and we had a conversation about what we do for fun, which is a typical topic I like to ask people that are high net worth and high income earners. What do you do for fun? Where do you travel? What kind of cars do you drive? And these both these guys, straight-faced, Boston accent, they're like, we like flipping houses, man. 
Like they were like, that's what they yeah. do. Like we like buying investment deals. I'm like, I know, but what do you do for fun? Work. Like that's their thing. And that's a dysfunction. And I'm not, it is. you know, and I, <laughs> you know, obviously. And if I sat there saying all I like to do is ride dirt bikes and go out and party, then that's a dysfunction too. So it's really finding that middle ground. And I really think if anyone took anything away today is you can have it all. You really can. You can build a successful business. You don't have to be Tommy, you know, from a work standpoint, and you can still be super successful. And here's, I think too, here's, too often here's, people don't know that. Here's the thing that I found really fun and enjoyable for myself. And it, it might sound weird to say that this is a social, you know, part of my life now, but I've, I've taken, you know, the, the coaching part of my business and really helping other people get to the next level is enjoyable for me. And I'd rather sit, you know, sit with somebody, you know, who's at a very early stage of their investment career and spending an hour with them, have lunch, have dinner with them, then have lunch or dinner with one of my friends who's complaining that, you know, they can't make it, that everything's difficult, that their job sucks. And it's like, that's just like how I am now. It's like I, the people who I grew up with, half of them, it's like, man, I can't even have a conversation with you anymore. Dude, you nailed it. It's hard. You yeah. know, having, having success is hard. It's hard because you're going to be around people that aren't successful. And the ch- biggest challenge is when you think you know why they're not successful, but they haven't discovered it for themselves. Yeah. And so yeah. what I've started doing, which is probably hugely confrontation, <laughs> I don't know if that's even a word, confrontational, is I'll recommend a book. Yeah. So like, I'll be like, man, you really need to read Extreme Ownership, or you need to read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, or I even think I told you, Tommy, that you need to read The Five Regrets of the Dying. Yes, you did. So like, I'll like make, recommend a book. So I don't need to like give my opinion. It's not my fault. I'll just recommend a book that is going to say exactly what I wanted to say, but I know one out of a hundred people. Did you ever buy, buy the book, by the way? No. All right. I called him out on the podcast, which is awesome. So now that's your assignment. You have to buy five regrets of the dying. Um, but essentially like it's, it's hard to be around other people like that. And I know your point is it feels good to be around someone because you can help them and yeah. you can mentor them. But I will say that's still work because you still have your work mind on. And I still think it's unhealthy. Um, what I would recommend is go get around people that love investing, but not in the thing you're investing in. Maybe they're great at investing in, I don't know, ice machines, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is, it's another business um, and try to find birds of a feather. You know, I like, I've tried to find people more like-minded people. That's a challenge. And so I've, I've worked very hard at building relationships with like-minded people that are in similar in the income streams that as I am and as amount of businesses, employees that I have that are my similar age. You know, that's, that's unique. And there's a lot of groups, guys, out there. I know EA is an entrepreneurial group that's across the country. It's a franchised mastermind group. Uh, yeah. There's tons of different B&B, business-to-business groups that you can, can find. Have you heard of the one GoBundance? Everyone keeps telling me about that one. Yep, GoBundance. I was actually a member, and I will be again. I had a pretty busy year this year and just left GoBundance. So I was a member yeah. of GoBundance for three years. Um, GoBundance is incredible. Mm-hmm. What I really like is they believe in the same beliefs that I have, they have five pillars. So they talk about worrying, you know, focusing on your, your job, focusing on the businesses you own, focusing on your spiritual health, your physical health, and your family relationships. And so mm-hmm. these are their pillars that, and charitable contributions. And so the focus isn't just making money. And they teach you that your ability to be successful in life isn't just attached to your financial success. It's probably more attached to the successes outside of your business. Right. And so that's, that's a whole nother conversation, but I found a lot of value from that group. So yeah, if anyone is interested in GoBundance, just go look them up online. It's GoBundance.com. And so what, what final recommendations would you have for, for an agent who's, 
who's thinking, you know, I, I do want to start building, you know, net worth. I do want to start getting involved yeah. in investing. What's the number one thing you would, you would, you know, give them for a quick takeaway? You know, I think you're not, you said it earlier on in the call and people just kind of glaze over it, gloss over it and they don't really focus, but it is just being um, every single day showing up and it might not be showing up for eight hours. It might just be showing up for two hours. Uh, I think Tim Ferriss's book, four hour work week was really you know, it really hit the spot in terms of recognizing it doesn't need to be a 50 hour a week dedication. It could be 20 hours a week, but being consistent, showing up every day in some way in the business and then tracking things, be a relentless tracker. Even if you think, oh, I'm not good at math or you don't like Excel spreadsheets, you can be, it can be pretty simple. Um, how many leads came in today? How many calls did you make? How many people did you talk to? How many people did you meet with? How many contracts did you write? How many contracts went together? How many closed? I, I, do, I, I do want to, I do want to cut you off because I do want to point out, I was friggin' blown away by how well, you know, your numbers. And I was ashamed at how well I don't know mine. Oh, so I you. know, I know them, I know them at a high level and I know I'm profitable. And this is, this is kind of a really high level. Okay. What's working, what's not working, what lead systems are working, but you knew them down to a T. And again, I just think that's, Really important, especially if you're running a tight, small marketing budget, because I've yep. got a huge marketing budget and over a huge marketing budget, I think you can afford a little bit of inefficiency because you're making money. But like right. when you've got a small one, you really need to maximize every single cent that you're spending and make sure that you're putting your money into the stuff that works the best. And I don't think you can know that without having your numbers. And it's just something that, you know, I didn't think of again until I you know, you had your print out there of, of, okay, this is how many, you down to how many calls your agents have to make in order to get yeah. a deal. What is it? 50 or 150 or they each get to set their own goals, but the average agent on my team makes 150 outbound calls a week, but in 150 calls. So you had it translating into how many one deal, one deal. Yeah. yeah so we knew on average over hundred, we've done this for three years. Our team's averaged about a hundred thousand outbound calls a year. And we broke it down to about 150 calls would equal one executed contract. Which is a combination of your sphere and prospecting calls. And internet leads, yep. And internet leads, yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, All so right. that would, the biggest takeaway I'd say is just track your stuff. And people that I, already, I know we've lost people that are, ah, I'm not going to track it. Well, you're not going to be successful then. So if you're going to throw your hands and say, I'm not going to track it, that's fine. You're not going to be successful. Because you have to know that if $1 gets you three, that $6 is going to get you 18 because then you'll have confidence around deploying more money or whatever the thing is to get a certain result. So those numbers are invaluable to help build and scale your business. And then what I would leave everyone with, um, Tommy, is an invite to our team building workshop. And Tommy came into town to check out that workshop. Would love you to speak one second on that. It's in Omaha once a month. Um, you can go to Jeff's workshop.com. Jeff is plural, J-E-F-F-S workshop.com. It's a whole day event. And any of your podcast listeners We'll also allow them to come out to our event at a 50% off discount. It's normally $29.97 to hang out with us for a day. For your people, we'll do it for $14.97. Use discount code one slash two off, half off. So yeah, it's it's a hundred percent worth it. I mean, I've I'm first of all, I'm a big fan of seeing how other people do things, right? So I've gone out to a lot. I haven't gone out to 50 offices like you have, but I've gone out to a good number of them. Mm-hmm. I've never left and not gotten my money worth. But I can definitely say yours was one of the better ones that I've gone out to. And, you know, the, the, the numbers in this real estate business are huge. Like $1,500 is nothing. That's not even one transaction. And so if you implement even a 
of the stuff that you talk about in your business, you're going to make that money back plus more. The the other thing though, I do want to mention is, so you, you've got, what do you call it? Your um, expansion? Uh, yeah, live stream. It live so stream. We launched in January a product called Livestream.com. If you go down, it's, it's ERS, Elite Real Estate Systems, but go to ERSLivestream.com. And we're live broadcasting all of my team's Wednesday dialogue trainings and Friday team trainings. And then we have higher level live broadcasts for people that want to expand and scale their business as team leaders or broker owners. And then we even are now offering a call every week with a success coach for $497 a month. And if you don't have Boomtown yet, if you sign up with our coaching company, I can get you $497 off every month on your Boomtown platform, which just essentially makes our live stream product free for you if you're going to be signing up for Boomtown. So it's a great deal. Go to erslivestream.com to check yeah. it out. Now, Tom, I know you're on that. So yep. You can share with the audience what you think of it. What, well, what I was just going to say is I, I think it could benefit any agent, even if they're with a big brokerage. But I think the the target market, not the target market, but I guess the people who it's a, so such a no-brainer for are people like me who they own their own brokerage, right? So I can't tap into, you know, a Caldwell banker. I can't tap into the Cal Williams training, but I've got 150 agents that I need to train and support. Right. You do that for me. So quite literally, like, you know, the people go on to the, the live stream, they click in, they get the exact training that you have in your office and they can ask questions live. Yep. So it's huge because it allows me like this training. If I was just a brokerage owner and I wasn't an investor, I would probably be doing this training myself, but I don't have the time to do it. Right. And even if I did have just the time to do an hour or two a week, just getting prepared to actually do those calls. That's another, you know, few hours a week. So it's it's a huge value just on the training side. But then strategically, you get to you get to work um, with Andy on on his team on how to actually manage the agents within your office, which again in itself probably would be worth you know the money. So I'm yep. I, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna sell out of this really quickly. I think <laughs> I know I know you probably I, agree. I know you probably don't have like a limit or a cap, but I'm saying like. I think that once enough people know about this, it's going to be, you know, very easy to spread. We so. think it's going to scale very fast. We expect a hundred, we have 50 clients already. We yeah. expect a hundred by the end of the year. We just launched publicly this summer. Yeah. Um, we're expecting over a thousand signups by next year. So it's a big deal. If you guys can get in on the ground up, this is the pricing. You'll be grandfathered in. Go to erslivestream.com. Check it out. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, for, for coming on. Always entertaining. Yeah, man. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I can come on again in the future. Awesome. Thank you guys. And we will see you next episode. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.